So I'm uh, not sure how you're feeling today, uh, but I am definitely excited for Christmas. Uh, and and um, as I mentioned a little while ago, if you're a guest this morning with us this weekend, we're absolutely thrilled that you chose to make us a part of your Christmas week. Um, and, and whether or not you've been a Jesus follower your whole life, or you've been a church person your whole life, or you're just stepping into church for the first time, our hope is that you would walk out today with more hope and more joy and more peace than what you came in with because you spent time with us here today. And I don't know what life is like for you if you're a parent, but when you have little kids, the energy and the buildup leading up to Christmas is just insane. And there's, it's just palpable. It's crazy. There's so much excitement. There's so much anticipation. It, it seems like, um, you know, you saw Kai um, playing the drums. That's our 11-year-old son. And then we have a six-year-old and we have two older kids. Um, and it seems like our, our Kai and his little brother, like they've been counting down the days for Christmas for, <laughs> feels like since like summertime. Like I, this has been a, a massive ongoing thing every single day. Uh, and, and then our oldest son, Jaron, he's 20, he's coming home from college uh, tomorrow night and everybody is stoked and we get to spend the week together as a family. Uh, and, and then of course, um, as I mentioned a little while ago, I'm super excited to be able to spend Christmas Eve together celebrating here uh, in just a few days. But I, I wanna begin this morning by reading a part of the Christmas story. And, and the truth is, is with the craziness of the season and how busy we all get, sometimes it's easy to get all the way up to and through Christmas and realize that you never actually slow down enough to pause and read through the story of Jesus and his coming and, and Christmas. And so uh, I, I wanted to do something a little old fashioned this morning. And so um, we're gonna read through it today, but it being the week of Christmas, um, I wanted to invite you to stand as we read it together. So would you stand uh, to your feet? And um, if you're with your spouse or your kids or your family nearby, would you just kind of join hands with them and maybe put your arms around them, uh, draw close. It's all gonna be on the screen behind me. You can follow along. Let's read it together. Luke chapter two, beginning with verse one. Luke writes, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone down around them and they were terrified. The angel said to them, do not be afraid because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying 
in a manger. Would you pray with me? Let's invite God to speak to us today. God, uh, it, it is a beautiful time of year and I'm so grateful for the carols and the drumline and um, God, all of the activities and festivities that come along with the season. But Lord, the, the beauty of this season is that heaven came to earth, that the creator God stepped out of heaven and took on flesh and blood and came as one of us. And so God, as we enter into this week of Christmas, Lord, I, I pray that in these next few moments that your voice would be heard, that you would speak into the soul of every person here, that you would speak words of life and hope and beauty and love. God, that you would give us the ears to hear the things that you're saying. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Christmas. In your name we pray, amen. You can be seated. So uh, I come from a, a fairly large family. I have four brothers and two sisters. And I don't know what your family is like, but my family of origin, um, in my family, like growing up and still to this day, stories never die. They never go away. If something funny happened, if someone made a mistake, if somebody did something that they weren't expected to, something unexpected occurs, that instantly becomes a story and that story will never, ever die. In fact, it doesn't, it's not, it not, it's not that it, just doesn't die. It actually grows over time. And all of those stories become a part of the legend of our family. And every time we're together, the legends grow and the stories grow. And all of those stories are told over and over and over and over again. Like, like for instance, um, you know, I, I had one time where I ran out of gas. Okay, it was twice. Okay, it was a whole bunch of times. But all of a sudden you run out of gas a few times and you're the guy who will forever run out of gas in his life. Uh, my little brother, Bo, he is, well, he's younger, he's bigger. Um, and, uh, and he's one of my best friends. We're super close. He's a year younger than me. Um, and uh, he's incredibly generous, but he hates to share. He would much rather buy you your own thing than share what he has with you. Um, and... and also, he can be a little tough to be around when you're eating because he's got misophonia, um, which is that thing where he gets really angry or annoyed at the sound of other people eating. And if you're like me and you don't suffer from that, it feels made up. You're just like, what are you talking about? Like, but I've actually watched him sit there and just get enraged while my son was like scooping cereal and eating it. And he's just like staring this death stare at him. And I'm like, dude, maybe you should take a walk outside. I don't know if you remember in 1995, um, there was a beer commercial by Keystone Light Beer and it was about bitter beer face. And it was like, don't have bitter beer face, you know, drink a non-bitter beer. And because his name's Bo, like he got labeled with bitter Bo face. And so every time like we are together, bitter bow face is coming up. Like it's gonna happen. Somebody is gonna bring it up and something's gonna happen. It's gonna be, be said. And, and my wife, Hansi, her family is pretty much the same. There's so many stories that get told again and again and again. M many of you know that her, her dad passed away just a couple of weeks ago. It was very unexpected. And, and, but one of the funny things about my father-in-law is that man was incapable of whispering. 
Like he just did not possess the ability to whisper. The problem was he didn't know it. And so he thought he was whispering, but he literally spoke at a level where everybody can hear you. And so it really made people watching a lot of fun and kind of awkward because you know those things that like you think and you're like, oh, look at that. What are they wearing? You know, you're whispering and nobody can see. He just said it out loud. He thought he was whispering, but he would say it out loud and so they could hear. And it was just super awkward and weird. Uh, he would just say what everybody was thinking, only it was loud enough for everyone to hear it. Also, another funny thing about him was that his sneezes were legendary, partly because they were sort of the typical dad sneezes and they were crazy loud. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Dads, something just happens when you become a dad, you just sneeze really loud. It's a rite of passage. It's a rite that we are given as dads that we get to sneeze really loud. So he had that going, but also he could never just sneeze one time. If he sneezed once, you better buckle up because it was about to be a full-on attack of 10 to 12 minutes worth of sneezing. There was this one time where we were actually coming home from an event at church and he was in his own car and the rest of us were in another car and he left before us and he was on the freeway and we were driving. We're like, is that dad pulled over? Is that dad getting a ticket? He was getting a speeding ticket. So we got all the way home and he came home and we were giving him a hard time. And he's like, look, I wasn't speeding. I was sneezing. And it's like, and I just have, I I can't control how fast I go when I sneeze. And that was his, literally his defense to the cop and the cop didn't care. He's like, it doesn't matter what you were doing you were still speeding. And so, yeah, so there's those stories that never die. And and then there's the Christmas stories, whether it was the year that my sister-in-law, when she was just kind of coming into adulthood, baking her cookies, but accidentally using salt instead of sugar, um, or or the year that... (laughs) The year that I forgot to take the turkey out of the freezer till the day of, and I was like, guess we're not having turkey today, so we might as well go get some hamburgers or something. Uh, or the memories, my, my wife, her grandparents, um, uh, we called them Momo and Popo, and, uh, and there was all of these experiences on Christmas and Christmas Eve for our kids and, you know, with her growing up with them. But then, I, you know, I've known her since I was 12, so I kind of grew up around them, and, and then our kids knowing them and... Um, and, and, and Popo had this change jar and every year on Christmas Eve, it was full of change and everybody got to wager a guess on how much was in it and the closest person got it and just all this stuff that our kids got to do. But, but, then, but then they were gone. And, and so the last few years at Christmas, we would, there was always a time where we would sit around and we would tell and retell all the old stories in their honor. It's funny, isn't it, how how the stories and the traditions in our lives change over the the course and change over the course of the years of our lives for for us as our grandparents and parents and and people that are are a part of our life and people that we love as they they pass on. I mean, Hansi's dad, my father-in-law, he absolutely loved Christmas. I mean, he lived at this stage of his life, you know, he's like in his mid seventies and he lived for two, two things in his life, two periods of time in his life. And the one was Christmas time and the other was the summer vacation that we all take. And so literally every time we see him, he was going to talk about one of those things. And, and so he was kind of the driving force behind so many of the memories and the traditions and the experiences that, that not only that she had as a kid growing up, but that our kids have had and that we've had as a family. Even if they were traditions and stuff that like people weren't really into, like he just had so much, so much enthusiasm. Like he had this ridiculous idea about 20 years ago before anybody had kids and we had just, um, is that we would celebrate Christmas Eve and we would open all the presents. When all the presents were open, we were going to have a Christmas dance. And so he had this 
really ridiculous song that he liked that was that said, can I have this dance for the rest of my life? And I don't know, the, will you be my partner every night? And so he would play that and we'd all dance in his room and then the kids, and they, they started, and when they're little, they like it because kids are just game for anything. As the kids started getting older and the teenage, they didn't like it, it didn't matter. We were dancing the dance on Christmas Eve because that's just what you do. And, and I was thinking about it this week that, that his passing it isn't just gonna change this Christmas. It actually changes, changes Christmas for us forever. Just like when Momo and Popo died, there's, this, there's forever this dividing line. There, there was Christmas before with them and then there's Christmas after without them. Because amidst the angels and the joy and the laughter and the presents and the food, there, there's all the memories, right? Like, and you probably have some of those dividing lines too. Maybe for you, it was the year that, that you first couldn't go home, that you, you just didn't go home to, to celebrate Christmas with your parents or your grandparents, or, or maybe it was the year that you did go home, but you shouldn't have gone home because it all just went wrong. Maybe it was the year that, that you lost faith and you stopped believing. Maybe for you, like, like us this year, it, it's, it's the year that you lost someone that you really love and care about. And, and I think if we're honest, like there really are these ghosts of Christmas's past that are a part of the experience that kind of haunt Christmas as it comes around, whether it's an empty seat at the table or an argument that sort of lingers in the air or that relationship that just can't quite get back on track. And we're not always sure what to do with it all, right? Like, like it can make things really complicated. I mean, sometimes Christmas is a reminder that there are situations that we can't navigate, that we just don't know what to do with, that, that there are problems that we cannot solve, that there are people that we can't stand or at least can't understand, that there's expectations that we can't meet. And, and I think that's one of the things that I love about the story of Christmas, that I love about the story of the coming of Jesus, that, that it's a mess. Like, I, like we, we sort of spiritualize it and sanitize it and, and you know, Christmasize it and all this stuff in our heads. But, but when you read the story and you think about it, it was full of relationship drama and tension. It was full of baby mama drama. It was full of family tension and unexpected travel and unreasonable expectations. And that was just Mary and Joseph to say nothing of the world around them and the darkness and the oppression and the violence and the struggle of first century life in the Roman Empire. So a, a couple of weeks ago, we began this series about the names of Jesus and the, the ones that were, that were given to him that were mentioned, these names, these nicknames that were given, that were written about in the, the book of Isaiah some 700 years before Jesus was born. And so there's this whole section in, in, in Isaiah chapter six, seven, and eight that say all of the stuff about Jesus and who he is and where he's gonna be born and things about him. And, 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 and we've been talking about how the names in this one particular place, that they're not arbitrary, they're not accidental, that they actually are names that address some of the, the deepest needs that humanity has. And, and so I wanted to read again all of these names that are found in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. So it says this, it says, for to us, speaking of Jesus, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. 
I, I absolutely love every one of those names. They're, they're beautiful and they're transcendent, but they're also really super practical because he says he's the wonderful counselor, which means that, that he guides us, that he gives us a path and a way forward. That when you find yourself in a situation that you can't figure out, that you can't navigate through this Christmas, that you can actually stop and ask God for help, that he's the wonderful counselor, that he will begin to help you find a way through. But he's also this mighty God that, that he makes the impossible possible. The apostle Paul in, in the book of Colossians, that this letter that he wrote to a group of Christians in, in a city um, called Colossae in, in Colossians chapter one, verse 17, he says, in him, speaking about Jesus, in him, all things hold together. What, what a, an incredible picture, right? That Jesus is holding all things together. I mean, how many of us constantly find ourselves just trying to hold things together, maybe especially at this time of year? But the good news this morning is that you don't have to, that when you face problems that you can't solve, that you don't have to be the one to figure out how to fix them, that you don't have to be the one to hold it all together because that's, that's who Jesus is. And then Isaiah gives us what for me, I think is probably the most emotionally charged name of Jesus, which he says that he's the everlasting or the eternal father. Every time I read that, I think, man, what, what, a, what a powerful and beautiful and hopeful and startling and scary and sort of anxiety-inducing, conflicting name for God. Because the idea of a father isn't neutral, right? In fact, it's the opposite. It's, it's loaded for all of us. I mean, most people spend most of their lives or a good chunk of their life trying to either be as much like their dad or their father as they can or to be as unlike them as they can. And we want to make them proud or make them pay or prove them wrong. And sometimes we want to do all three at the same time. So yeah, like thinking of God as a father is complicated to say the least. Because so much of what you and I think and feel about your heavenly father, about God, is filtered through our experience of our earthly father with our dads. And I have always been amazed at how true this is when I listen to people talk and when I listen to people say things, when I listen to people tell their stories and, and, I, and I hear them say things about what they believe or think or feel that God is like. And, and then you spend time with them and begin to hear the story of what their relationship with their dad was like. And so often the two are very much connected. And so the big question this morning is, if God is a father, what kind of father is he? Well, to begin to answer that question, the New Testament writers, the people who actually spent time with Jesus while he was present on the earth, they, they have something very simple, but very fundamental and foundational that they want us to know about him, that they wrote about him. In fact, one of Jesus's closest friends, his name was John. John spent three years of his life with Jesus, three years of Jesus' adult life, following around, being his disciple, being his friend. And afterwards, after it was all, John later on in his life wrote letters to all of the churches as the Jesus movement was just starting to take off in the first century. And in 1 John chapter four, verse eight, John is thinking about his Messiah, his savior, his friend. And he writes these words simply that God is love. He doesn't say that God has love. He says that he is love. And so if you and I can uncover what love looks like, well, then we can actually begin to get a picture of what God looks like. 
So what does love look like? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there's these really famous verses. And even if you're not a church person and you've never read the Bible before, you've probably heard them because they get said or read at weddings all the time. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects and always trusts and always hopes and always perseveres that love never fails. Sometimes to remind myself of who God really is, I will read or reread this passage and I will substitute the word God for love since the two are synonymous. And so it reads like this, that God is patient and God is kind, that he does not envy and he does not boast, that he is not proud, that God does not dishonor anyone, that he's not self-seeking, he's not easily angered, God doesn't keep a record of wrongs, that he doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth that he always protects and he always trusts and he always hopes and he always perseveres that God never fails. And it's beautiful and powerful when you do that. And then I thought, well, since Jesus is our everlasting father, what if to get the picture to really drive it home this morning, what if we, what if we substituted that in for love? So the everlasting father, your heavenly father, is patient, your heavenly father is kind. Your heavenly father does not envy, he does not boast, he is not proud. Your heavenly father does not dishonor other people. He is not self-seeking. He is, your heavenly father is not easily angered or irritated. He keeps no record of wrongs. Your heavenly father does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. He always protects and he always trusts and he always hopes and he always perseveres. Your heavenly father will never fail. I love that. It's incredible. I think reading it like that really helps me sort through how God, how Jesus as our everlasting father, as our heavenly father, how he's both similar to, but also completely separate from my earthly father. But, but then there's this other side to this idea of God as father that I want to draw your attention to as well. Because as I said a second ago, that these names are beautiful and transcendent, but they're also very practical. There's a practical side to these names and what they mean for us. Because there's a picture that the scriptures are trying to paint, that, that God is trying to communicate for us when we, get, when we hear these names. See, to call someone a father is to acknowledge them as your originator, your protector, your provider, and your mentor. So yes, he's the wonderful counselor. Yes, Jesus is the mighty God, but he's also our eternal heavenly father. It's who he is. It's what he does, that he is our originator, meaning that, that he's a picture of where you came from and what ties all of us together. That, that him as our everlasting father, it, that's a declaration that we are God's creation, that he is our source, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in his image, that you look like your heavenly father that we are his family, that we are inescapably connected both to him and to each other through him. He's our originator, but he's also our protector, that, that he will protect us, that he will safeguard your soul. And, and this is not a guarantee that you won't experience pain or heartache. In fact, 
There's no guarantee at all anywhere in the scriptures, but it is a promise that when you do, that he will be with you, that he will be present with you, that he will see you through it. In fact, in another place in in Isaiah and then uh, Luke and and Matthew both echo this, that, that one of the names given to Jesus is Emmanuel, which simply means that God is with us. And so God makes this promise that he will, as our protector, that he will see us through. The, the hard part about this one is that's not what we really want, right? Like we, we want Jesus to shield us from everything on the outside, to keep all the bad stuff away. But, but he actually wants to strengthen and sustain us on the inside. See, he's our originator. He's our protector, but he's also our provider, which means that he takes responsibility for us and for our needs. See, you may not recognize it this morning and you may not feel it, but you're not on your own. You, you don't have to fend for yourself. You are not your source. Your job is not your source. The economy is not your source. Your, ever, your everlasting father is your provider and he is your source. Finally, he's our mentor, which just simply means that he's the best model for how to live our life and how to grow to maturity. We say a lot around here that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. And we say that because he's the one that designed and created life. And so the best way to to live our life is the Jesus way of life. In John chapter one, verse four, John writes these words, speaking of Jesus and the birth of Jesus and him coming, he says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind, that life and light, that that's what Jesus brings into the world and into our lives, that he's the everlasting father, our originator and protector and provider and mentor. And what's so powerful uh, about understanding Jesus in this way is is that all the flaws in our relationships with our earthly fathers are usually rooted in one of those areas. It's usually rooted in one of those things because there's some of us who have no sense or we struggle to have a sense of where we came from or who we belong with just because of our relationship with our dad and our family. Some of us who weren't protected from harm when we were kids, or we weren't given the tools that we needed to really deal with the challenges and the pain of life. Some of us that grew up knowing what it felt like to not have our needs met, knowing what it felt like to not have enough for life. And there's some of us that, that didn't have anyone there to help us make wise decisions, to discover who we are, to discover what life is about, to learn how to live responsibly and to grow into maturity. And so we're just sort of winging it, always trying to prove ourselves. And that's the incredible reality this morning is that no matter what your dad was like, that you have a heavenly father who can give you everything you need. And not just today, but he's the eternal everlasting father not just tomorrow, not just this season, every day of your life. And no matter what life throws at you, no matter what happens, that you have an everlasting father who loves you, who wants to provide and protect and grow you into maturity, which is amazing because life is hard. It's challenging. It's unpredictable. In fact, every time I read the Christmas story, like we did a little while ago, I think about that. I think about Joseph, who was Jesus' earthly dad. Like, we don't know a lot about him, but we do know that like us, he, he had a script in mind about how his life was gonna go, about how it was all gonna unfold, about what things were gonna be like between he and Mary. Like, like he had this plan. He had these events. He had it all mapped out in his life because that's what we do. But then that script got completely flipped on him. 
and nothing played out in any way, shape or form like he thought it was going to. Has that ever happened to you? It, it happened, it's happened a lot to me. In fact, I, I was thinking about it this week. I think my entire life, my 47 years on this planet could be described in one sentence. It didn't go as planned. Whether it's roadblocks or detours or false starts, whether it was crashing and burning or failures and setbacks, twists and turns, whether it was getting lost, routes I didn't plan, routes I didn't want to take, all of that stuff. And, and I'll be honest, I never do it perfectly, but whenever I've been able to listen to and follow after my heavenly father, I can tell you without any hesitation that somehow in spite of all of that, that the life that he's given me, the path that I've walked is far better than anything that I actually had planned to begin with. See, I, I, what I've learned in my own life and what I see looking at Joseph and the, the Christmas story is that these really powerful and beautiful, these divine moments don't actually feel divine in the moment. They just feel, they just feel like a regular moment. They just feel like life. I mean, for us, the Christmas story feels divine when we read it in hindsight, right? Because we, all the pictures of like, you know, the, the, the artist's renderings of the story and they all have the glow around their head and, you know, like, like there's this incredible thing going. They didn't know any of that. They just knew that they were living their lives. And it didn't really feel divine, right? Because when your fiance turns up pregnant and y'all haven't been together yet, that doesn't feel very divine. When you are nine months pregnant and you're told you have to travel by donkey for 80 miles, that doesn't feel like, oh, you don't hear angels singing. When you get there and there's no room for you in the end and you have to sleep in a cave or a barn and you have your baby there, well, let's just say that feels less than divine. But that's the thing. We, we can't always see what actually our life, what's happening, what our life is about. We don't always know what's going on in the middle of it. But the good news is that you, Jesus, our everlasting father, he does and he can. That, that when we step into relationship with God, that our setbacks, just like for Joseph, what he saw were these setbacks, that they actually become setups for the most significant moments in our story. See, that, that is Christmas. That's Jesus. That's the wonderful counselor. That's the mighty God. That's the everlasting father. That he's this really big, eternal, powerful, mighty God. But he's also this incredible, beautiful, loving, perfect, everlasting father. I, I love Psalm 36, verse five and six in the message translation it reads like this, that God's love is meteoric. His loyalty is astronomic. His purpose, titanic. And his verdicts, oceanic. Yet in his largeness, nothing gets lost. Not a man, not a mouse. Nothing slips through the cracks. He's the everlasting father. He loves you without limit and without end. There were no lengths that he was unwilling to go to to rescue us and to win you back, to have a relationship with you and to restore peace between you and the God who made you. The truth is, is like we sang about earlier and Lisette was talking about, is the baby in the manger became the man on the cross. And he loves you with a perfect love. So, so often the most difficult part of the holidays is usually just navigating and figuring out 
a bunch of relational stuff that we only have to deal with once a year. But when we begin to see Jesus as our heavenly father, as our everlasting father, it actually begins to change how we see and treat ourselves. See, because the truth is, is that you are not abandoned in the world, that you are not orphaned in this existence, that you have a family and an identity, that, that you have a heavenly father. See, your identity is not in your resume or your job title or your salary or your achievements or your failures. It's not in what people expect of you or the name that you've made for yourself. It's not even in your earthly family. No matter how amazing or how broken and messed up it might be, your identity is in the person of Jesus, your everlasting father and his love for you. See, it changes the way that we see and treat ourselves, but it also changes the way that we see and treat other people. Because Jesus is your everlasting father, but you're not an only child. There's a, he's got other kids. And so you, you don't get to act like an only child. <laughs> See, because inherent in this picture is not just the relationship that we have with God, which is the part that we all really love, right? Like, God, you just love me. And I know you love me and you're for me. And I know you're, you get away. So you be quiet. He, God, and I just love you. But it also implies the relationship and the responsibility that we have to one another which is the part that we're not so excited about, right? Because there's some people that are just dumb. And they would be, you'd be better off if they just like did, if they thought and saw the world and acted like you, right? If they just got it together and they were more like you and they weren't as dumb, it'd be easier to get along with. Problem is, they aren't you. They see the world differently than you. See, the, the truth is, is that we get to experience the love of Jesus but then if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to extend that same love to other people. The, to God's invitation, this idea of looking to Jesus as our everlasting father, it is really a life spent asking yourself, what, what would Jesus do in this situation? Which is the same thing as asking, what would love do in this situation? Because Jesus is God and God is love. To love like our father is to love people when they least expect it and when they least deserve it. Can you imagine, just for a moment, what, what if that was the mindset that you went into this Christmas week with? that you were gonna love your neighbors and your family and your coworkers and your friends and your frenemies and the guy that's driving like a jerk and you just know he's from California. And <laughs> what if you decided, and you're probably right, what if you just decided you were gonna love people when they least deserve it and least expect it? Because after all, that's what God in Jesus has done for us. And that is the beauty of Christmas. That Jesus is this everlasting father. That, that his role in our lives is unending. And it doesn't stop and end today, but it echoes into eternity. And, and that when we begin to place our faith and our trust and our life in him, that we take on his family name, that he is our originator and protector and provider and mentor and friend, that, that he can be counted on 
to love you with patience and kindness and generosity and consideration and encouragement and honesty and forgiveness, not just today, not just for Christmas, not just for this season, but forever. Because that's his heart for you because that's who he is. He's your everlasting father. Let's pray together.